Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. I'm back from vacation. I just want to start off by saying, USA, USA, Europe's fine. I like it here. We'll talk about that more on some other podcast. We are back to talk about football because uh, that's what you guys like. And we, I got back. We pre-recorded a bunch of stuff. So you've heard me, Nathan and Steven, have been knocking out all these all these recruiting pods, these great recruiting pods as all these recruiting things are happening. But we want to have the three of us talking football again. So we said, hey, like, what do you, what do you want us to talk about? And we got a lot of great responses, and I got them all backlogged. But the main thing that we're talking about here from the 4-4-0 was this question. It's a good football question, nice and breezy, but also I think allows us to give some insight. What is the single most dominant aspect of Ohio State's offense? Is it balance across the receivers, accurate quarterbacks, play calling? Is the most dominant aspect also the most important? If it's most um, dominant attribute is balanced wide receiver play, does the team need that? Uh in order for this new play calling switch to work out. So, so this is from the four, four Oh, Nathan, we're going to start with you and all three of us are going to give like our sentence or two description of the most dominant part of the Ohio state offense. I would imagine there will be some overlap. We'll slice it very thinly, but it will allow, I I hope uh, our loyal Buckeye talk listeners. I missed you guys, man. I missed you. I had a dream about texting people. We're going to do a dream podcast because I had a weird football dream in Europe, but we'll do that later. Nathan, I don't want to be dreaming about football on vacation, but (laughs) if I stop doing this for any amount of time, my brain doesn't stop working and I don't have the mouth opportunity to let it out to the world. So it's just in my own head. And then I have crazy, crazy, crazy dreams, crazy dreams. Don't you envy the the French people who could just ignore you because they didn't understand what you were saying when you just started ranting about whatever in college football for the past two weeks? Yeah, it was. uh, I was as a. uh, I'm an American. I that was my main. (laughs) I can't. I don't want to help it. I am just America, and I kept saying like I'm American sized. Everything is a little smaller. It's like, I'm American size. What are we supposed to do? So anyway, Nathan, that's all we're here to talk about. People talk about football. We want to talk about football. Nathan, what is the most dominant aspect of the Ohio State offense? So this was a question that you just posed to us maybe like, what, like an hour and a half or two hours before we start recording. We had a meeting in there. So I was like, man, I don't know. Can I come up with a really good answer? And then like right after I thought that, I was like, oh yeah, I think I know exactly what this answer is. And it's something that it's a it's a term I first used to describe Justin Fields, but I really think it has continued and is and it's something that was even present there before Justin Fields, and that's explosively efficient quarterback play. I think that's the thing that Ohio State does. Uh I, you could argue they don't do it better than everybody in the country. There's one entity that I think maybe does it better and maybe two, and the second one doesn't always get enough credit for it. But they're right there. It's the thing that I think they do the best from an offensive standpoint. The most, the thing that they do most consistently the best from an offensive standpoint. Because where there are times where we talk about the offensive line maybe had its issues, such as the 22 Michigan game, or there's times 
when the running game gets stuck in the mud or has its issues, which has happened spottily here at, at, at least uh, over the last few years. And there's never really a time where we feel like the sales just whatever, like the, 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 the air just completely leaves the, the quarterback position. And, but I think it's important to draw the distinction between just being productive quarterback play and being uh, highly efficient while also still having the, um, the skills and the talent and the intelligence and everything else that makes this offense still be very dangerous, very explosive, while at the same time as it operating in a really efficient way. So, Stephen, when you hear that phrase from Nathan, what is it? Efficiently explosive or explosively efficient? Or does it matter, Nathan? Does the order matter? I, I don't. That's a Maybe that's another podcast. Maybe if we come to a consensus, oh, we'll, we'll move on to a second people podcast. People love where our we semantic podcast. <laughs> what is an adjective I, I and think, what does it mean for Ohio State? I think it's explosively efficient because you want to – explosive – is modifying efficient and efficient is what this offense is at all times. Efficient is the baseline. Efficient is the identity of the offense and its explosiveness on top of that. What does that phrase mean to you, Stephen? That was a lot. Um, I'm just trying to wrap my head about that. It's true. Um, I, I don't know. For the sake of joining in on the semantic argument, I might flip it and go the other way and say efficiently explosive because that's what you're doing. You're efficiently being explosive. It's the CJ Stroud having 40 plus touchdowns and only five interceptions. It's Justin Fields against Nebraska in 2020 being 19 of 20. And the only incompletion he had is because he, Chris Olave got flipped on his head. I mean, you can go back to Dwayne Haskins and how he was efficiently, you know, throwing the ball around. It, it's the expectation for how we expect quarterbacks to be. Um, I don't know if I agree with that's the thing that defines it, but it's definitely on the list of things that you think of with Ohio State when you think about their offense because that's just – I think we're just so – it's still new. And Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud and Dwayne Haskins were the, weren't the same type of athlete, but I do think their decision-making in the pocket and how they were used in this Ryan Day offense was very similar in terms of that – you know, I'm going to be flirting with 70% completion percentage. I'm not really going to turn the ball over. And when I have those games with multiple interceptions, you're almost like, ew, why did you do that? Or if you have a 65% completion percentage, you're like, that was a bad game. When it's actually just a normal game. So it's, I don't know how much of that is a product of the talent at quarterback versus the a product of the other things that are also a part of this offense that allow that to happen. Nathan, say your phrase again. Explosively efficient quarterback play. Okay, that's a it's a good phrase, and I'm not here. I'm not here to dispute anybody's phrase. I'm not here to tell anybody their phrase is wrong. <laughs> I'm back from Europe. I'm just I'm here to love everyone. We'll see. I think that'll last about sixteen <laughs> minutes. Six, not even oh, to the first break. Okay, okay, Tom Allen. We see where that got him loving everybody. Uh, by the way, now that you bring up Tom Allen, when I put out the call on Wednesday afternoon and said, hey, we're back. What do you want to talk about? Like three of us are back together right away. What do you want to talk about? And people did express interest in 
the opponent previews, which we have done in previous summers, where we break down every opponent on a podcast. We do a post on them. We try to have an opposing beat writer on to talk about that. And I think we're going to do that, but I also might skip Indiana. I might skip. It's a, I'm, who wants us to talk about Indiana again? Do they play Indiana the first game every year? Why is the first game Indiana? I don't want to talk about Tom Allen. And I don't want to have Zach Osterman on and make him talk about Tom Allen for 45 minutes. So I think we're going to skip well, it. I don't want to. I will say, just from an ease of production standpoint, having Zach Osterman on to talk about Tom Allen for 45 minutes is very easy because that means you asked him one question. <laughs> I, I, I knew you were just, it does, I'm not saying I don't want to have Zach Osterman on. I don't want to have anybody on to talk. I love Zach. Uh, Zach Osterman's a fine fella. He's the best. Great reporter. He's the best. I don't want to have a 45-minute Tom Allen conversation. So if we do the opponent thing, we might just skip to Youngstown State. And we can rerun. We can rerun last year's Indiana. And by the way, we're not going to have divisions after this year, so we're not going to worry about that. Nathan, why did you put the word quarterback in your sentence? And I think that's a little bit of what Stephen was getting to. You didn't say explosively efficient passing game. You said quarterback play. And I think it's only a four-word phrase. So we're going to – we're gonna and really play – I don't know. You just That's say just kind of a, yeah. a dead word. Supposed Three to be words really that matter in your in your sentence. Why did you zero in on quarterbacks? Well, for two reasons. Number one, it preceded this golden era of receiver talent that they have. In, in, if, if you if you started at 2019 at the latest, but you can really go back to Haskins before that, although he obviously had some good receivers and um, into 2017, even when I, I, I did some stats back to 2017 when Ryan Day joins the program, because I think that's the, the interesting era to look at here. So there's that part of it. But then there's also I think we sometimes because of the abundance of talent and the abundance of receiver talent and and those guys are obviously legit. I'm not taking anything away from them, but I think we sometimes um, we, we can't forget that the precision and the um the the way that this quarterbacks these quarterbacks have taken care of the ball um within this offense have allowed those receivers to really maximize their their own talents here in in this program um i went back through so going 2017 through 2022 so two years as the quarterbacks coach slash co-offensive coordinator and then as the head coach ohio state nationally in quarterback efficiency rating finished among all teams second second this is going backwards so 2022 would be the most recent year second second ninth fifth third and fifth and if you go by just power five programs it's second first sixth fourth third and fourth so only one time since ryan day has been here as ohio state finished lower than fourth in quarterback efficiency rating among power five teams that was the weird 2020 season where they played a much tougher schedule than a lot of even power fives did because they had no non-conference games and it was more condensed around just some of the better teams they played and plus two playoff games. So that alone, I think tells you a lot. There's, there aren't programs again, with very few exceptions that are that consistently uh, brilliant at quarterback efficiency. It's just every year you can lock it in that Ohio state is going to have an, an astonishingly high floor of quarterback efficiency. Um, I can keep going on that because I have some other data that I can cite, some other data that I've been looking at. Um, just real quick, going over that same period of time, um, 
going by yards per attempt. And I didn't have a way to comprehensively do all of college football. I tried to go by just the teams that seem to appear at the top. Don't steal my yards. Don't steal too much of my yards per attempt on the third segment. Well, (laughs) tread lightly here. um, Maybe you have better data than I do. I will just say the, the only teams that I would really count ahead of Ohio state in that are the Lincoln Riley offenses and Alabama. We can talk more about those numbers and specificity when we get to your uh, segment. And then uh, completion percentage, um, Ohio State has uh, in the past, so they were 12th in 2017 and 13th in 2019 um, in Justin Fields' first year. And then since then, they've been 5th, 3rd. And technically, they dropped to 12th last year. If you take the Tennessee game out, they would have had the same completion percentage as Tennessee. If you take out the Northwestern game, they had the same completion percentage as Tennessee that finished 5th. So it would have been 5th the past three years. Just all of those things combined. Um, this offense, from the start of a year, operates at – at such a high um, platform going into every single game that the the pressure that that puts on opposing defenses is um, it's why they are so regularly break those opposing defenses I think because there's just it's a lot of leverage to have um, pulling down on you uh, before the game even starts. So when you have the word quarterback in your phrase. I do think that puts, uh, what's the right word? A little impetus, not pressure exactly, but Steven, he, the word the word quarterback, there's only th- three words that matter in Nathan's phrase. And one of the words is quarterback. Mm-hmm. And they're in a quarterback competition. They less, just lost the number two pick in the draft. They've had three straight starting quarterbacks be first round picks. That does put a little bit on okay there's a other there are other things happening here, but there is quite an emphasis at the very least on the quarterback and that Kyle McCord or Devin Brown, maybe both, have a standard to live up to and a decent chunk of it in this description of the offense would rely on them playing well. Would that uh when you would to have it described that way, should that have fans does that amp up a little bit you know what is needed from the starting quarterback in 2023 yes I think whoever your answer was going to be though that's the case because I don't know if the question was meant to be this way but part of me took it as what's awesome and what needs to be awesome at all times for this offense to be what it is standardly when you think about it and if you're going to say, oh, the quarterback part is the most dominant, that means the quarterback better be dominant at all times, or this team isn't going to be able to accomplish what it's going to accomplish. If you're going to say any of the other things that we might get into on this list, then the moment that drops off, so does your expectation of this offense being championship level, which Nathan's going with quarterback, so let's stick with that subject for now. My pushback on that is a is one based in the conversation we've already had on the pod of, does this year's quarterback have to be that for this team to be national championship level because of all the other things we're going to talk about? Or can they be just like a game manager? Not necessarily Stetson. Can they be Stetson Bennett of 2022 good and this team still win a national championship? If they're Stetson Bennett 2022 good, even though he was a Heisman Trophy finalist, all that stuff is great, but some of that is because his team was dominant. That's not the dominant aspect of a team. If you're Stetson Bennett 2022 good, it's good, but it's not dominant aspect of a team. It's not the foundation of why all this is possible. 
So we're we're staying with the quarterback word here, Nathan. Yeah. And I, I do want to dig into one other word then before we get off your phrase. In your mind, Nathan, having quarterback in your phrase, what what does that mean for how you view the outcome, the importance of this quarterback battle and the standard that you believe this starting quarterback in 2023 has to play to? Um, well, I, first of all, real quick, just Stetson Bennett, in terms of efficiency, was basically an Ohio State quarterback last year, like 9.1 yards per attempt and a 160 QB but would rate you say, uh, efficiency Would you say that's rating. because of him, though? Would you say that's him first? For why he, those oh, it's, numbers, it's least would you him. say it's him for – Right, but is it it's start at least with him? him. Does it start with him though? Uh, because that's kind of my point here. Does yeah. the num? It's not right. Where, do the numbers that make somebody you called it explosively efficient? Does the numbers that make somebody explosively efficient in a college football offense start with the quarterback? If your answer is yes, then okay. But I don't think it has to be. Well, we, I guess we can talk about that more in your segment, but. When yeah. with just want just pointing out from a numbers standpoint, he was right there. The way that we talk about Ohio State quarterbacks, almost I cannot sit back any longer. You <laughs> are baiting me. <laughs> I have decreed that I shall not appear once again on Buckeye Talk, and yet for no reason at all, you have brought my name into this discussion. And to say that I am a Yankee quarterback, I am an Ohio State quarterback, is perhaps. The most gross injustice I have ever heard as it relates to one Stetson Bennett the fourth. Please rescind that remark, Mr. Baird. I am nothing but a Georgia quarterback. He was not quite an Ohio State. You were not quite an Ohio State quarterback. I did say that. But it was, you're a step below an Ohio State quarterback, if, if that's what you're angling for here, which I think is not what you're angling for here. Um, but to answer the, the, the fuller question, we have already been talking about the quarterback competition at Ohio State in this context. And the way that we were following it throughout the spring was not what progress they were making, uh, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown were making on a day-to-day basis against each other. That was really the important thing. It was what progress were they making towards Ohio State's standard of quarterback play, which uh, through all the numbers that I just gave you and others we'll probably talk about is astonishingly high. I mean, it's, it's, you're a Heisman Trophy finalist. Like that's what, if you're not a Heisman Trophy finalist, something went wrong as the Ohio State quarterback, even if you can be have a great season like Justin Fields in 2020 and still not be the level that you're supposed to be at for uh, in that in, by that estimation anyway. So that is I think we've already been talking about this. It's part of why I picked this, because everything we've been talking about in terms of this quarterback competition has been framed around how um, elite you have to be and how this program depends on these quarterbacks being elite. Okay, so let's let's zoom in on one other word then, and it's explosive, explosively. What does that mean to you, Nathan? Is that deep balls? Is that is that a certain number of big plays? Is it yards after the catch? When you use that word, what is it? How what are you thinking in your head? Yeah, it's it's being um, it's the ability to produce those big plays at kind of any time, and that is there in this offense, even if the underlying performance is that efficiency. It's it's Ryan Day talks about how they've built it this way for a reason, that they want to be able to attack, you know, horizontally and they want to be able to attack uh, on the ground, but you also want to be able to attack vertically. And it's it's the efficiency that which they do 
the one that allows them to do the other, I, I think. Um, and, and, and you've got to obviously have the receivers that you can to maximize that. But I think what you've seen both both C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields in terms of either arm talent or vision or decision making or all of those things that the, the quarterback and, and especially and then that's where the efficiency comes in, too, because every time you turn the ball over, every time you have a real stinker of a game, um, you you give away opportunities to do that. And Ohio State doesn't give away a lot of opportunities. That's why, again, that pressure is just constantly on opposing defenses uh, most of the time, uh, maybe the second half of the Michigan game being the exception, um, the, 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 it's, it's most of the time opposing defenses are, are really being leaned on, uh, until they break. Explosively efficient quarterback play. That's Nathan Baird's description of what is most dominant about the Ohio state offense. When we come back, Steven means description next after this. All right, Steven. Nathan did it in four words. Now we're like doing name that yeah. phrase. Can you do it in three? And mine will just be one. Mine's just going to be ball. Ball. <laughs> uh, you, you can use as many words as you want. You can use like 26 words if you want. What's your phrase, Stephen? Yeah, I'm not going to be explosively efficient with my word choices here. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I want to be now, though. I just want to be on theme now. So I think I'm going to try it. Wide receiver play. Like, and I, I did some going back to, and I didn't go back to 2017 because it's, I'm sorry, JT Barrett, you just, you're just not in the conversation with the other talented quarterbacks they're talking about here. So from 2018 to this year, actually, no, I will include JT Barrett in this. So the six years that Ryan Day's called plays here, here for sure, and maybe he calls them this year, maybe he doesn't. But so far, the six years that he has called plays here, I think there's only one year where I'm 100% bona fide sure that the quarterback was the best player on that offense. Because in 17, J.K. Dobbins is awesome. Um, 18, I think you can make a case for K.J. and Paris, and maybe even Terry, just even if he was underutilized because Dwayne was more of a point guard. 19, as awesome as Justin Fields is, uh, J.K. Dobbins at 2,000 rushing yards. And in the big games, they gave him the ball. 2020, you give it to Justin, 100%. Crazy good. Even if it kind of fell off a cliff at the Indiana game, he's clearly the best player in that game. 21, I mean, you can pick any of the three receivers. Even And even this year, with Jackson Smith and Jigba going down and CJ being CJ, I still might give the edge to Marvin Harrison. And it doesn't just – so from that standpoint, if your receiver is consistently, especially these last couple of years, consistently the best player on your offense, and then – even if there's a gap between one and two, like there is with Marvin Harrison Jr. in the room here, the receivers since 2020 have consistently been, even when you average out the 2020 numbers, there's two guys with at least a 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns every single year. And you talk about the – I'm glad I'm going second here because I can use some of Nathan's stuff. You talk about the explosive efficiency and stuff like that. You talk about how – Ohio State makes getting 10 yards look like the easiest thing in the world. Corey Dennis even brought up during the coach chalk talks one night how they have plays where it's just, we just need to get 10 yards real quick. Why is that possible? Because most of the time these receivers are five yards open. And even in a Penn State game where Julian Fleming and Emeka Buka are struggling to get open, who's not struggling to get open? Marvin Harrison Jr. is not. Uh, 
what's so awesome about the Clemson game, along with what Justin Fields did, the fact that Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, and Chris Olave were uncoverable. Early on in the season in 2021, when there were people on the beat, even on this pod, who were unsure if CJ was actually the answer, you weren't worried about the wide receiver play. You, no one was saying, oh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jackson Smith, the Jigba were struggling getting open. In fact, you lose Garrett Wilson for a game and it just bursts a star in Jackson Smith, the Jigba. You lose Jackson Smith, the Jigba for the entire 22 season. And it bursts a dude who might be the first non-quarterback taken in next spring. And Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best player in college football this year, depending on how you feel about guys like Caleb Williams and on down the list there. So it's, all the stuff we talk about with the quarterback play, but they have weird games sometimes. You can throw the play calling in there. All the other stuff in here that makes this offense awesome, especially the passing game, even the running game, none of it is possible if your teams are not consistently dealing with wide receivers who are going to be four and five yards open so much that you shift your defensive game plan and always have to be too high safety because you're so scared of what that passing attack and those wide receivers might do to you. Nathan, when when we have the word quarterback in yours and we have the word wide receiver in Stevens, yours puts more on the quarterback's play, quarterback battle in 2023. When you hear Stevens, do you feel like that's lifting a lot of it? That now, if we're, if we're really starting with what's the most dominant thing? Wide receiver play. And we've talked on this pod, others in college football have talked about Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Buka might not be the best duo. They might be the best two individual receivers in college football, or at least in the conversation, how much burden with Steven's description does that take off of quarterback play? You think in your mind, again, can't be throwing worm burners at the guy's feet, but if it really starts with receiver play, maybe it doesn't matter quite as much who wins the quarterback battle. No, I don't think that's true. The degree of difficulty that the quarterbacks are playing with is significantly higher. Uh, the standard is is significantly higher. It's a much tougher job to do. And I think that that puts even more pressure on Ryan Day and Corey Dennis to pick the right guy and have him prepared to steer the offense. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard. You can't mention Marvin Harrison Jr. getting open against Penn State without mentioning that C.J. Stroud was the one who through his film work had had made the reads to communicate with Marvin Harrison on what they should do on the, on the critical drive. You, you know, you could also throw in there that they've had big plays without the elite receivers like Xavier Johnson. And how did that happen? It's because of things CJ Stroud saw in film and translated to the field. And there's, there's been other examples of that in, in recent years. And um, I, 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 I think that it, it's 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 certainly true that, that the abundance of talent that they have at receiver, like no one is no one's questioning that. But I I think if you if we really think that quarterback play could drop off and this offense would not, I guess I guess we'll I guess we'll have that conversation again when we see it if if we see it. I I have a feeling that if if I guess this is the way to say it if if we're four or five games into the season and quarterback play has dropped back a tier I think we'll notice it I I and we did notice it in 2021 when CJ Stroud was struggling early in the year regardless so of how many good receivers he had Stephen let me ask you that same question about your phrase how much do mm-hmm. you think and you touched on this a little bit but how much do you think when you use the phrase wide receiver play how much of a burden does that lift on the quarterbacks in your mind 
And it's, you sort of touched on it during Nathan's thing. Okay, we already sort of said on this pod, well, if the quarterback's, you know, just this X level of good, is this does this ease the mind of listeners in your mind if they go by your phrase? Hey, man, because nobody doubts. That's the, the most, I think, undoubtable thing about the Ohio State team is probably the wide receiver play. So if that's the reason they're dominant, Stephen, how much does quarterback play matter in your mind? I think it's second on that list. Um, I'm going to bring the Georgia game up. You know, CJ was awesome in that game. But the play that sticks out in my head, a slant to the X receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr. is not out there, and you're throwing it to Xavier Johnson. You know, and CJ can be as accurate, as timely, and as great as he was. But Xavier Johnson is not Marvin Harrison. And you miss that when you don't have elitist receivers. When you like that, Marvin Harrison's absence in the Georgia game, along, I mean, the defense made some mistakes as well, but that hurt the offense because Marvin was cooking for three quarters. Georgia had no answer for him at all. And then you take that out of the equation and you still have your number two pick in the NFL draft, Heisman Trophy finalist, two time Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year quarterback. But you just took away his best weapon again. It was the reason why things got wacky against Notre Dame because he lost their they lost their best weapon, who they had spent six months building an entire offense around. And so now, along with them trying to be tough, it kind of threw you out of whack for a game in a big game, top five opponent at that point, big game college football playoff opponent at that point. And so I just the quarterback play has to be to a certain level. I'm not saying I do think they have to be better than Stetson Bennett if they want to be national champions this year. They need to be a certain level, yes. But I do think the wide receivers, especially as we saw in 2021 when even Brian Hartline said in the spring, the better they are, the more pressure it takes off of a court, a young, brand-new starting quarterback with no inexperience, especially when you're talking about this offensive line. If Marvin Harrison's running a route and he gets open in point, five seconds, that's less time you have to worry about whether or not your tackle is going to give up a sack. So there's just, there's just so much with this wide receiver play, especially with the passing game. But even with the run, running game, they do a lot on the outside. They try to get to the edge a lot. And we've seen when the blocking isn't up to par with the bubble screens, with the, the uh, stretch runs, when that's not up to par, it hurts other parts of the offense. So it's not just about, oh, can they get open and can they catch the football? It's how important they are in the run game, whether it's because they can have help the run game be better with that blocking or because teams, like I mentioned before, are so scared of these wide receivers that it opens up these running backs, especially when they're healthy. So it's, I, I, I don't want to take away from the quarterbacks, but I do think I don't care how good an elite your quarterback is. If his wide receivers aren't up to par, it's only going to take you so far. And the re- USC is a perfect example of that. It was kind of the Caleb Williams show whenever Jordan Addison wasn't in that lineup and you felt it. And you saw it. And it, Ohio State's quarterbacks outside of that Georgia game, CJ Stroud was never really put into that position because they're so deep and talented at wide receiver. So, Stephen, let me ask you do you think that will never go away? That when you see the pipeline, when you, mm-hmm. when you see Brandon Ennis and Carnell Tate, and then assuming Jeremiah Smith keeps his commitment and, mm-hmm. and everybody they have. And that we're seeing it now, not just, you know, when you think about Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba being the three starting receivers, and they're so good, Jamison Williams has to transfer. If this is your thing, 
it's never leaving. What, like, right? As long as Day and Hartline and yeah. if Hartline goes to be a head coach someday, you know, it's still the Ryan Day offense. You you would think Keenan Bailey becomes the receivers coach. He can replicate. You know, you don't want to take away from how good Brian Hartline is individually, but is this reassuring to fans to hear your definition? Because that's something that Ohio State can always count on. It feels more reliable because you can even lose the top guy and the guy right behind him might be a first rounder too. While with just because of what quarterback is, I mean, Ryan Day said it, we sat in his office and he said it, you could be wrong. And you know, what if you're wrong and they haven't been wrong yet, but you know, every year is a new year. We saw DJ, we saw Spencer and it's why Ryan Day builds the room. He, the way he does. So if he's wrong, he can make a decision to change it. But they're not going to change it after three weeks, right? You're going to give that kid his fair share and you might lose an entire season because you want to make sure that you aren't, that you're right in this situation. So it receiver is just so much more reliable to make, to be like, I know there's going to be an elite guy in that room because right now there are elite guys in that room. Like Cardinal Tate might be elite. He's just not going to play that much this year because the guys in front of him are just as elite. And you can't always say the same thing with quarterback. Nathan, when we have a receiver quarterback discussion like this with Ohio State, does it feel like a chicken and an egg discussion? It's like, well, I don't know. I mean, yes, both, of course. They play off of each other. Like, what are we doing? Is it just semantics? Or, and I don't even know. I mean, what, what, did they ever, do you know, Nathan, did they ever come to a resolution on the chicken and the egg? They never, they never decided that, did they? I think TBD on that. Mm. Um, but no, I don't think this is chicken and the egg because I think the quarterback pipeline was established first and that's what started bringing these receivers here and i i kind of can't believe we're citing the georgia game of all games as the example of where elite quarterback play wasn't necessary for Ohio state to win the game i mean the the play that stands out to me from that game is cj stroud you know evading a sack rolling out and throwing a dart into the end zone for one of marvin harrison jr's touchdowns where much more of that was on the the skill and and brain of the quarterback than it was on marvin harrison jr it was also a big touchdown catch in the second half of that game from Xavier Johnson. Now, he's starting to look like maybe kind of a, a unicorn among walk-ons. So we can't keep citing him, yeah. I guess. It's just like he's a castaway. But he's not an elite future first-round receiver either. And that has to – I mean, to me, the Georgia game proves my point. You could take the most important skill player off the position, off the field, at running back, at receiver, at tight end. Ohio State's still one point away from winning that game. And it's the – play of the quarterback that almost got them over the top there so I know that we're there was a lot of things that weren't necessarily just passing in that game and maybe that's what's what's parsing this language a little bit but uh, the Georgia game to me is still the shining example of how critical that position is at Ohio State in this offense among all others yeah but almost winning and saying that maybe if you plug Marvin Harrison Jr. back into that game they do win the game are that's I mean Having Marvin Harrison Jr. and not having Marvin Harrison Jr. and maybe even Jackson Smith and Jigman if he didn't play all year is the difference between maybe the difference between them losing to Georgia and Michigan and being national champions last year. This is good because mine's tight end. So this my Cade Stover point will tie in well to what you guys are saying here hmm. about uh, running back uh, quarterbacks and receivers. Uh, Steven, is there – Could you? do you think there's a way that it's all everything? It's all everything – it's Buckeye talk. It's all everything. 
Is there a way that this season could prove you right in your mind that Ohio State could end up being <laughs> very good, winning the national title? Everybody says Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football and Emeka Buka is the second best receiver in college football. And when we watch the quarterback play, we think it's it's good. But we don't think it's Caleb Williams. We don't think it's Drake May. We don't think it's Quinn Ewers. We don't think it's Jaden Daniels at LSU. We don't think it's Michael Penix. You know, we don't think it's the best of the best of the best of the guys, but it's good enough. Like, are you almost curious, Stephen, to see if it's like, well, no, like there's a there's a world where, yeah, when people say, oh my gosh, Ohio State was the best team in the country. Why? Number one, MHJ. Number two, Ameca. You think that could happen? I think there's a world where it happens, and I just think about 2020 Alabama. Mac Jones, 311 of 402 passing. That's 77.4% completion rate, uh, 4,500 yards and 41 touchdowns and only four interceptions. And they won the national championship. But is Mac Jones the number one reason you say Alabama won the national championship that year? No. You say Devontae Smith. Wide receiver, and he and why did uh, part of the reason he was able to do that is because they actually lost their best receiver in Jalen Waddle early in the season, so they needed more from him. They needed more from John Mechie. You even mentioned running back <laughs> with uh, Najee Harris before you mentioned Mac Jones, but those numbers—that's to Nathan's point—explosively efficient. Forty-one touchdowns, four interceptions, and forty-five hundred. That's the epitome of explosive efficient, but he is not the number one reason you say Alabama's offense was what it was last year, that season. I won't be shocked because Ohio State's offense, the quarterback's going to have these type of numbers. They're going to be 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns. Um, I mean, the interceptions might just depend on the personality you're dealing with there, but the 40 touchdowns, 4,000 yards, this offense, that's like default, what you get when you play quarterback here. Just because you have that number doesn't mean you're the reason that you had those numbers. And Kyle McCord or Devin Brown could easily do this this year. They won a national title. And when you go, what made Ohio State the best offense in the country? You go Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, Julian Fleming, a healthy Travia Henderson, a healthy Kate Stover, and the other tight ends came along as well. You missed like six Nathan, guys before you say quarterback. And do you think, Nathan, this season potentially could show that you're right? that they have all these weapons, but if you don't have a guy who's good enough, I feel like this is the kind of conversation that happens sometimes in NFL draft rooms when they're trying to evaluate Ohio State. Mm -hmm. It felt like this was a little bit of the conversation around C.J. Stroud. It's like, well, I don't know, man. Everybody's always open. How good is he? And then it's like, no, they decided he's really, really, really good, right? Like, Nathan, that, that, that there's a scenario and you kind of already pointed it out, Nathan. It's like, well, I don't know. There was a time where we felt like this offense not that long ago was not operating at peak efficiency. And the reason we thought it was because we wondered if the quarterback was good enough. So you think there's scenarios where it could be like, yeah, no, Nathan's description was better. That could be borne out this season. Yeah, definitely. Because again, it's not really the counting numbers that matter as much. The yards and touchdowns will be there in, in in abundance, I think. They are there in abundance for a lot of programs, but there's a reason that there's a difference between the kind of quarterback that Ohio State puts on the field every year and uh, like Michael Penix, to, for an example, that I wrote about in a Hey Nathan the other day, where the, the yards and the touchdowns are going to be there, but it's a tear down in terms of efficiency, and it leaves you more vulnerable. It leaves you, especially on the kind of schedule Ohio State's going to play, when you're when you have just a few possessions here and there in the biggest game of the year, it 
it can be the line between a win and a loss. So I think it could be borne out this year, either that Ohio State, because it finds the right guy and because that guy steps up and continues the standard of explosive efficiency, then Ohio State has the season it expects to have. Or if it drops down a tier, now you're talking about a season that um, doesn't get there, the season that falls short of where they want to get to. Does the NFL, you the brought diff- up the NFL, um, does that, is that a point right now, or are we too early in that? Because Ohio State's only got one quarterback who's played in NFL football games, well, alive, who's played in a football game while they've had. Well, actually, me, no, I, th- I think that might be, you've had two quarterbacks who have been first rounders and who have played in NFL football games. And you've got two wide receivers, two first round receivers who have played in NFL football games. And Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson didn't have the best quarterback situations at the teams they went to. In fact, Garrett Wilson's, it was actually like laughable what was going on at quarterback there. And yet he was a thousand yard receiver, NFL offensive rookie of the year. And Chris Olave, same kind of situation. The only other rookie receiver with a thousand yards while I mean, Dwayne struggled in the NFL, and as great as of a runner Justin Fields has been already an explosive, the passing has not been the explosive efficient. It really hasn't even been explosive or efficient. It's just kind of been, he's kind of in a show me we need to invest in you mode, and I don't think Chris and Garrett are in those situations. So maybe CJ changes that narrative, but so far, that explosive efficient hasn't translate it to the NFL the same way it has at wide receiver. I, I, Wilson and Olave both had good counting stats as rookies, and that was reflected in that voting. But I would, to me, that's not really a part of this conversation. It's more about what you have to do to win college football games. And I think that is still more reflected in, and it, it even goes kind of to what you're, uh, the flip side of what you were saying about Mac Jones, because Alabama is the other, one of the other programs that has just consistently year after mm-hmm. year, the the level of quarterback play is both prolific, but also has that high, high level of efficiency built into it. I think the receivers are the chickens. I think I've decided that. Because the hard thing to figure out here is the chickens are never going to go away. The receivers are never going to go away. I don't know that in this Ohio State era, we're ever going to have sort of what you referenced, Stephen, with like a Caleb Williams situation where it's like, okay, the mm-hmm. quarterback's awesome. Nobody doubts that. But are the receivers good enough? I, I don't even know what would have to happen because the chickens are always going to be there and they're always going to lay eggs. But Nathan, we acknowledge like they lay the egg. We think it's a good egg. But every now and then you get a eggs dozen get eggs. Like Some eggs get one eaten. Out of the, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you crack an egg and it's a little weird. Like mm-hmm. one out of 12 is a little weird. But the chicken's always there. And the chicken, the receivers here – The only way, Nathan, I mean, it's hard because it feels like the way for you to be proven right is for the offense to not be as good as expected. That like, Mm -hmm. hey, I told you the quarterback was the most important thing, and then the quarterback wasn't quite good enough, and the offense suffered, right? Which is not what anybody is hoping for or anything. Whereas it's sort of like, well, there's enough receivers because the receivers are a group. It's actually, it's a brood. What's a group of chickens called? A covey of chickens? What's is a, it? A is flock? it a herd? Is it oh, a, flock a flock? Or, yeah, they're birds. Or a coop? Chicken coop? Animals, right? Animal, animals always have different names. Oh, okay. Who did that, by the know, way? Like, man. When you're a kid, it's like, <laughs> hey, here's our test on what you call a group of these animals. And that you call a group of zebras different than you call 
a group of horses is insane to me. Who came up with these names? They're just all groups. They're all groups. I would just write down group for everyone. Why does an individual, the species of animal matters? Hey, there's eight of them over there. What is that? Oh, it's this because the, it's ridiculous. Stupid people with words. By the way, the answer, I just looked it up, is either flock, brood, or peep. It's a peep. Peep of chickens. They're always, hey, Heartline, tell that Steven next time you talk to Heartline. Just tell him, hey, man, you're always going to have a peep of chickens in your room, baby. What's crazy is he might get it. I don't, he actually might understand it better than I do, what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Heartline's actually, I own, uh, I own all kinds of land. He was out driving his ATV around his chicken coops. He was. Nathan, like, it's just a weird situation because it feels like the receiver, because there's so many of them, and even if one doesn't work out, there's another guy. Whereas quarterback, obviously, people understand the nature of the positions. It does lead to a little bit of a weird situation because we almost can't imagine the world where they're back to sort of, and this is no offense to, like, Ben Victor and Austin Mack as they're starting receivers. of like, what would that be like? And then it's like, okay, well, like this quarterback is elevating these guys. It's almost like the only way to find out is for the offense to sputter to make the quarterback point, which doesn't mean that like you're wrong if the offense is good. Like that can't be it. It's like, well, how do we figure this out? Well, if the offense is good, Steven's right. If the offense is bad, Nathan's right. That's not the point of this discussion. But Nathan, you know what I'm saying here. Yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be subjective the whole way. Like it's either just which one you feel to some extent, as much as we try to prove it with these numbers. I will say you can be wrong. They could be wrong about a receiver and the offense will probably roll along without a blip because they'll have other candidates to just fold in in place of that person. If you're wrong about a quarterback, we're going to notice. We're going to notice in like a really big way. Now, it happens to be that they have two right now that are competing, but I think you guys know what I'm saying. There's going to be other times where it's really one guy's opportunity to step up, and if he's not at that level, there can be repercussions, especially if there's been other there's been attrition or whatever in that room. So uh, that's still where I keep coming back to. That the quarterback has to stand alone in a way that none of the receivers ever have to. I think not the offense. I don't know if we'll find that out this year because Marvin and Mac are awesome. I think we'll can, I think next year would be a good case study for this because it's going to be probably three new brand new starting receivers. Maybe if Julian comes back, but probably three new starting receivers. And I don't, maybe the starter this year is, especially if Devin Brown ends up winning this job, he's going to be a starter next year as well. So, there's a chance that the quarterback might be the established entity while the wide receivers, we just like know nothing about because they're probably, unless this team falls off a cliff this year, we're probably not in a situation where they get what Marvin and Emeka got with the Rose Bowl, where they got that opportunity. At least that's not the expectation. So we're coming into the offseason already thinking Marvin and Emeka might be at least decent. So next year could easily be what Bryce Young's junior year looked like. Where it's, I mean, Bryce Young clearly is awesome, and there's no Jamison Williams, there's no John Mechie, and so it's like Bryce just kind of figure it out every single week. Animal names are ridiculous. I've just been looking at animal group names for the past 15 minutes. <laughs> Welcome back, Doug. <laughs> A group of of canoes are called an implausibility. Hey, there's what? seven canoes over there. Canoes, like Gary Gnu, all the canoes. Isn't it pronounced Gary Gnu? Oh, but I thought it was Gary. They always said it was Gary Gnu. Is it a new for real? That was an old children's show. 
Maybe it is new. But it's an implausibility. If there's seven of them together, they're called an implausibility of news. If you have a group of cheetahs, it's a coalition. A group of <laughs> buffalo are caused an obstinacy. Hey, there's six. Hey, I see a group of buffalo over there. It's not a group of buffalo. It's an obstinacy of buffalo. It's a shrewdness of apes. If you have like six apes hanging out, it's called a shrewdness. This None of this makes any sense. There Why can't are we just say a group of people, if, things, man? Yes, like, if you type in group of animal names in Google, there are thousands of websites that exist so that everybody can keep track of this stuff. This is ridiculous. Who And who decided this? This is just scientists jerking us around. If there's an animal scientist that wants to come on here and try to explain why if you go to the zoo with your kid and point out a group of 30 different animals, you need 30 different words for those groups of animals, please come on this podcast. When we come back, I'll tie it all together with my answer next. All right, so my answer, my phrase is easy passing yards. And this is where we'll get into yards per attempt, which is why I cut Nathan off before. On cfbstats.com, it goes back to 2009. This is Ohio State's yards per attempt passing. 2009, 7.1, 8.5 in 2010 with Terrell Pryor. That's pretty good for back then. The messed up year in 2011 at 6.7, then 7.7, 7.7, 9.1 in the national title year in 2014. Guess what? It's great to have Zeke. You also got to be able to throw the ball pretty well. 9.1, really good, a peak for a national title team. The next year, Tim Beck, 7.6. The next year, the 2016 Michigan game we watched, 6.8 yards per attempt. That ranked 87th in the nation, 6.8 yards per attempt. Ryan Day gets here, 8.4 with basically the same guys. Still JT Barrett, same guys. They go from 6.8 to 8.4. Then, starting in 2018 with Dwayne Haskins, 9.1. Then Ryan Day takes over as head coach, 9.1, 9.3, 10, 9.5. So the four years of Ryan Day as a head coach, they've had a low of 9.1. The previous decade, they had a high of 9.1. What was the ceiling has become the floor. Among Power 5 teams, last year they were second. In 2021, they were first. And this is why, and I'm not, mm, I'm slicing thinly, Nathan. I'm not disagreeing. I went with easy because Tennessee last year was explosive, was like super explosive Mm -hmm. in the passing game. Tennessee had 15 passing plays of 50 yards or more last year that tied with TCU for the most in the nation, Ohio State last year had six. Now that's super explosive, but I ha- I think we felt like at times that people were really trying to take away the deep ball. Chris Olave gone. People know they want to do that. They try to take that away. It doesn't mean they're not explosive. But when I look at those yards per attempt, rather than explosiveness, I'm looking for ease. I'm looking for the Justin Fields 12-yard money out. I'm looking for C.J. Stroud on a slant to Marvin Harrison Jr. against Joey Porter that you were referencing, Stephen, that felt like they could hit that all day. Like, tell me when you – I'm looking for, oh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to find a little spot in the zone in the middle of the field, and you want a free 15 yards. The thing that, to me, makes them dominant, Nathan, is a world where you watch teams and it looks hard to throw. It looks difficult. It looks like getting seven yards on a pass is hard. 
you watch Ohio State sometimes, Nathan, and it's like, what happened there? It's like, oh, it's a free 13 yards. It's like, oh, well, that was. And I feel like that's the thing. And that, to me, I think we've actually done this podcast. And I. Fuck, I thought. Like, trying to divide up the percentages of that. Is it the quarterback? Is it the receivers? Is it the play calling? I'll lean a little bit on the play calling here, but it's all part of it. So when I say easy passing yards, what does that mean? It means an offensive scheme that creates open receivers with the play calls, with the route combinations, with the dip, with the pressure. Nathan, you use that word a lot. There is skill of the players that puts pressure on the defense that makes them play off that Ryan Day says, take that thing underneath, run a little curl. We're good sit down in the middle of the zone in the middle of the field. I do think there's a decent Ryan Day component of that because we saw the jump when he got here, right? Mm-hmm. But the extreme skill of the receiver, and I'm going to I'm going to lean a little bit on route running here that I've yeah. always, you know, I think Heartline emphasizes that it's the precision of that. And then it's the accuracy of the quarterbacks. That again, you can watch JT Barrett in that 2016 Ohio State Michigan game missing dudes. It's like, okay, well, I don't know. It might have been a good play call. It might have been a good route, but it wasn't close. So it is a combination of all three, but is it is the ease to me, Nathan, that is my number one word because everything else builds off of that, and it's a reminder. We can take it for granted sometimes, but when you watch other teams and how hard it can be and how hard it used to be for Ohio State, Terrell Pryor was great in his own way. Braxton Miller was great in his own way. JT Barrett was great in his own way. But even while they were a good offense, Nathan, in their own ways back then, it could look hard to throw the ball. And now sometimes it feels like dudes are running wide open all over the place. And why are they running wide open? Because the quarterback puts the ball in the money. The receivers are supremely fast and physical and talented with good hands and they run good routes, and Ryan Day has created a system that gets them open. So in terms then of like, okay, well, then what does that say about this year? It's like making sure the system's not changing. It's just the order in which they call the play. So it's just making sure if Brian Hartline's going to call it, that he's calling the right play against the right defense in the right situation that still makes it feel like dudes are running wide open and there's a 13-yard easy throw waiting for you on first and 10 six times a game that just is not there for the opponent. So, Nathan, easy passing yards. What do you think of my phrase? Yeah, I know. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, it, it, like you said, it touched on a lot of things that both Stephen and I had, had already talked about. When I was breaking down the yards per attempt, like, like I said, I was trying to just go by teams that were showing up a lot among the leaders. So this is there may be somebody who would be in this sort of top 10 that, that would average into the top 10 that I missed. But the number one team was Air Force at 10.25 since 2017, but they've only attempted 700 passes, which is <laughs> about what Dwayne Haskins attempted, I think, in 20, or it was like, he had like 500 some. So like it, that tells, they, they go by element of surprise. But then after that, you had the Lincoln Riley offenses. So I combined five Oklahoma offenses and one USC offense, 10.15. Alabama next at 9.73, and then Ohio State at 9.22. And then you have a drop to get down to another team that, we think of in the same realm as USC, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, you get down to Georgia at 8.44. So a pretty healthy drop down to that next standard. And that was one of the numbers that I was citing just to say that this is, again, the um, and, and that started, as you pointed out, before we had 
the hyperspace of receiver recruiting that you have now and the way that that room is, in the, or at least even just the, the lineup is loaded at all times. I, I would argue that it started a little bit before that. So that is why I, I use that as one of the reasons why I was voting the way I did or, or making my, my assertion. But I could totally see, especially when you talk about route running, I think that is a part of it. And, and think about what, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., what is his, one of his big goals for 2023 is to find ways to get more yards after the ball is in his hands. It's not just getting open. It's like, how do, how do I, once I have it, how do I ac- accelerate what this offense is already doing, what I'm already doing in this offense? The yards. And Nathan, just real quick, wh- where did you, what's your... When you talked about Bama and the Lincoln Riley offenses, what's the time period? That's again from when Ryan Day took over as offensive coordinator in seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen to now. So for Ohio State, that's a that makes sense. For other programs, that's a very arbitrary point to start from. But twenty seventeen now, which actually happened to be the first year Lincoln Riley was head coach at Oklahoma too. And, and I think and pro- what what stat what site is that? Because I know you had said where is that? Because I, I that's a good. Uh, where'd you find that? How'd you I, sort that? I went to CFB stats and added it up year by year for all those teams. <laughs> you did manual calculation for this podcast? I did, yeah. Wow. How about that? How about – so just go to NathanBear.com and Nathan will manually add up <laughs> no. a whole, whole bunch of stuff. Go to CFB and add it up <laughs> hand by, by yourself. You can use a spreadsheet like had- I did. Any stats that you would like to know, just email Nathan and say, uh, Nathan, could you do this math for me? He'll be happy to do it. Mm -hmm. Steven, what do you think of that? I love that. And I think especially once you start adding in some of the context and some of that stuff, I mean, you, what is part of the reason Riley was so high I mean, at Oklahoma, he's playing in the big 12. He's not playing against the best offenses. And so defenses, excuse me. So if you actually look year by year, especially this year at this past year at USC, it's down to, 9.1. 9.1. He's not in the 10 range like he was consistently while he was at Oklahoma playing against Big 12 schools where there were years where he was like 10.1 and higher on some of those stuff. I love to bring up the Tennessee point because I do think them and Ohio State were the two most explosive passing attacks in the country. 10, point, 10 yards per attempt for Tennessee and then 9.5 this past year for Ohio State. But looks very different when you watch it. Tennessee was out there one at four, four, four verts. So even when you bring up a stat about 50-yard passing plays, okay, how many 50-yard passing plays did they attempt and not hit on to get that number versus, like, if I went back and watched Ohio State attempt 50-yard passes, I would assume that that number would be a lot higher on the completion percentage, which gets back to Nathan's point of the explosive efficiency. There's the difference. Yeah, you're more explosive, but if you you had 10 50-yard pass plays, Tennessee probably attempted, what, like – 25, 30, 40 of them. Well, Ohio State, just because of how teams played them, if they had 10, and I know they didn't have 10, these are hypothetical numbers, they probably only attempted it 18 to 25 times because that's all teams. So when they go explosive, they hit. While Tennessee, they've got to try, 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 and eventually they hit, and that's all that really matters at the end of the day is how often you is if you hit it a bunch of times while Ohio State's more, how often do we hit it versus how often we try it? Which is where the efficiency part of, the, of Nathan's yes. race comes in. Because, okay, yeah. I don't think anyone would call what Tennessee did last year explosively efficient. You could just say no. it's explosive, Nathan. But that's that's why you're bringing those two things together. Uh, no, what Tennessee did last year was incredibly efficient. Hendon uh, <laughs> Hooker was the only quarterback. No, C.J. Stroud finished ahead of Hendon Hooker by, I think, two points. Mm-hmm. A little more than two points in, in QB rating to lead the country last year. 
And Tennessee as a team was slightly ahead of Ohio State in quarterback rating, hmm. efficiency rating. So what Tennessee did last year was astonishingly efficient, but only because they hit that that high of a percentage of those plays. Most years they wouldn't and don't. They were actually they were pretty good actually in twenty twenty one as well because Hooker was kind of you know all of like that this. was sort of starting under the the new court, the new coaching staff and everything. Um, we'll see what they do with you know new personnel this year, but that that was an outlier of what they've done the past seven years. They were around like ninth or tenth total, eight point two three. Um, for yards per attempt for that 2017 on. So actually very strong, but that's really been propped up these last couple of years. But last year, last year they were awesome. So just back in the days, right? I, I Where Ohio State ranked in yards per attempt, which again, it's like, what are you using it for? I'm using it for ease. 2009, 60th. 2010, 15th, actually, pretty good. 2011, 78th. 2012, 37th. 2013, 35th. 2014, I didn't have a – they were third in the Power Five in 2014 because they were so good. 2015, 43rd overall, 2016 in the 80s. Now, Ryan Day gets here. They're in the Power Five now. I guess the teams that really matter. I'm taking out Air Force. I'm taking out Army. I'm taking out Coastal Carolina, right? We're talking about their cohort of teams. 2017, they're 13th. 2018, they're fifth behind Oklahoma, Bama, West Virginia, Ole Miss. 2019, they're seventh. Again, Bama, Oklahoma, LSU. 2020, they're sixth. 2021, first. 2022, second behind Tennessee. So that almost, to me, free money outs, free money out passes for for Justin Fields. We talked about those a lot. I, I do think the greatest ease probably is 21, those three receivers and CJ. It makes me think if this is my phrase, maybe CJ Stroud, right, is the is a little bit because Justin, as we always said, Justin wants to hold the ball a little bit, make a big play. His legs are such a part of it. That's not as much easy. Sometimes that's a little more explosively efficient, right? That that's ease. I almost feel when you look at the yards per attempt the last two years that they're first and second. I think this to me, Stephen, like the last two years of that, in my mind, is almost like the peak of what this offense can be when it is dominant because it's great, accurate quarterback play in concert with a play caller who's on the same page as his quarterback and has multiple weapons to throw to, and then it looks easy. I'm going to find a way to spin that in the favor of my flag, um, just because why not? That's what we're doing here. I think that – I honestly do think that helps me make my point there because that's about – that's not about quarterback play. That's about CJ to your – that style of QB who – I'm getting it. I'm reading the defense. I'm great pre-snap and I'm getting rid of this ball. That combined with the elite receivers is why you get one, two. Justin top 10. So I mean, I'm not going to knock him too much, but different style of quarterback when to hold the ball, which takes away from the easy stuff. If once every two or three or four times he takes a bad sack because instead of taking easy, he wants to go get the big game. You know, is Kyle McCord a big game guy? Is Devin Brown going to be a big game guy? Lincoln Keenholz. Uh, Aaron Nolan seems to be more like C.J. Stroud, so maybe he takes the easy stuff a little bit more often. But that's something with quarterbacks every year is the question. Even C.J. admitted it last spring that he probably had some trouble at times just taking the easy stuff. With quarter, young, talented quarterbacks, they all want the touchdown pass, right? That's the cool thing you want. Nobody wants to take the boring, easy 11-yard completion. 
But that's the thing that makes this Ohio State offense awesome. So the quicker that quarterback comes around on that, the better it is long term. And CJ came around on that pretty quickly. But what helps you come around on that pretty quickly is when your slot receiver or your X or your Z receiver is just like open in two seconds. And so you don't have time to be thinking, I'm going to wait for the guy to get open downfield because this dude's already open. And that's where the offense is telling that's where the read is telling me to go. I can't help but notice, Nathan, that we're an hour and four minutes in, and I don't know if we've said the word run game yet. And, and we're not going <laughs> to. You which just said it. leads us back <laughs> to the conversation that we've had a million times by now, which is why you try and out physical Michigan. What makes you dominant is this. Yep. We're having a debate about whether it's the quarterback, the receiver, or the play-calling receiver and quarterback altogether. We're not having a running back conversation now. The run game as a complement to all this, the pass game sets up the run game. We know they will actually want to run it more than half the time, but it's not what makes you dominant. Steven, you brushed on the idea that, yeah, hey, in 2019, who's the best offensive player? Probably JK, right? Mm -hmm. But also, there's some pretty darn good receiver talent on there, and Justin could sling it and run it and all those things. Like, it it is a little odd. Ryan Day's admitted it, Nathan. We don't have to, like, bludgeon Ryan Day with that. He knows it. But this is what makes them dominant. This is what makes them special. When they play the special opponents, this is how they have to win. And then we can all come into the postgame and say, hey, Ryan, was it the receivers? Was it the quarterback? Or was it the quarterbacks, the receiver, and the play calling all together? What really made you dominant? But I just, because Nathan, even if the back, even if Travion and Mayan each run for 125 in that game, I think it's going to feel like, it's the, it's a complement to the pressure to the precision of the pass game that makes it go. I, I don't I don't know that we're ever really in this era going to feel like they just came out and ran somebody over. Maybe they did run somebody over, but it's probably going to be because they loosened them up or scared the pants off of them first with the pass game, and that's what makes them dominant, Nathan. And I think it's good that Ryan Day knows it. Yeah, I mean, my first inclination when I saw the question was to say balance because they have been so balanced, but it's really what they do with the passing half of the balance that is the real separation, I think. You know, um, there's a lot of teams that can run the ball very productively that don't throw the ball anywhere near like what Ohio State does, and that is what separates the tier that they're in, which is almost a tier unto themselves. Like there are a few teams that year after year after year after year are this strong offensively. And I do think balance might've been the urban Meyer offense answer. Cause urban always said he wanted two fifty and two fifty pass passing yards, rushing yards. And that would have been balance run pass. That would have been balance horizontal vertical, right? There's a balance, just the way there's a physicality and then a strike in the pass game yards after the catch. There's a mm-hmm. speed strength balance to that. I really think that that might have been the winning answer for what makes an Urban Meyer offense dominant. But I think, Stephen, if Ryan Day thinks that's his answer, they're in trouble. If Ryan Day thinks his answer is what actually what the Urban Meyer answer was, that's where you wind up in a world where it's like, hey, we're going to come out and do this, and then we'll do that. It's like, no. Just do this, do the pass thing. And then the run will come. Cause I don't think it's, 
I don't think it's balance. I think it's extreme, all of this that we just talked about for an hour, and then the run game follows. Now, if the run game's not there, you're Lincoln Riley. If the defense isn't there, you're Lincoln Riley. There's a ceiling on it. So it can't only be this, but I think this is what makes it dominant, and then everything else fills in the cracks. And if you don't fill in the cracks, listen, this is stack. the passing game stacks the bricks. But if you stack bricks with no grout, the wall's going to fall over eventually. But you can't fool yourself what's the bricks and what's the grout. This is how you build the wall. And the run game and the defense is how you hold it together. But build those bricks in the pass game, man. All right? We got so he's, he's got it, right? Ryan Day's got it, Steven. We're good. He knows it. It's good. He knows it. He learned it. Pass game first. Yeah, he did learn it because he did not run the ball in any type of way against Georgia at all, unless it was just like, all right, we just need to get a couple of yards real quick. In fact, he was playing with a true freshman and a former linebacker as running backs. I, I think you can have balance in production, but you can't have a balance in approach and mindset. And I think that's where, the, where Urban Meyer was. And then he tried to take it to the NFL, and it definitely didn't work because that's ridiculous. People were even laughing, like, 250, 250. What league do you think you're playing in? That worked back then. When there was that era of college football where teams who were winning national championships weren't necessarily elite passing off NFL passing offenses, it was like you had a running quarterback, you had a great run game, you were zone reading it, and then every so often you'd hit somebody over the top with like Devin Smith with a deep ball touchdown pass. So, of course, you would have that type of balance. The 2021 team had a 1,500-yard running back while also having – basically three 1,000-yard receivers. So you had balance in terms of production, but the approach was pass the ball, pass the ball, pass the ball, because that's where the strength is. And if you do your strength to the best of that ability, it's going to open up the running game. I think we only really saw it once this past season, and that was against Wisconsin when both Travion Henderson and Mayan Williams had 100 yards. But that wasn't the story. It was C.J. Stroud, Emeka, Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Julian Fleming are awesome. So it ha- I, I think I love your, exa- your analogy exactly. The bricks are the passing game, while everything else is just the thing that holds it together because those things are going to be productive as long as the thing that actually helps you win is doing what it's supposed to do. A prickle of porcupines? Does that make any sense to anyone? That one does make a sense. A prickle? That one makes sense. Of, actually, that, actually sure. what? I like an that embarrassment one. of pandas? An embarrassment. Hey, that you makes see those sense four too. pandas over there? You mean the embarrassment of pandas? A I, blessing I, of narwhals? A harem of seals? A wisdom of wombats? Hey, I saw nine wombats in my yard last night. Oh, you had a wisdom of wombats in your yard? Doesn't make any sense. Please, if you're a zoologist, come on our podcast. Okay. That'll do it for this one. We got some stuff planned. We'll get some more Market Down Mondays out to you, usually on Mondays. And we always appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. For now, Nathan, what was your phrase again? Explosively efficient quarterback play. What was your phrase, Stephen? Wide receiver play. That's not as fun as y'all's. I want to find something else. Yeah. Oh, Ohio Ohio State Open. I don't like that one either. Yeah. What What if we came up with a phrase, a labor of moles? A leap of leopards. We could decide what the phrase would be for a group of Ohio State receivers. If you see a bunch of Ohio State receivers standing together, you say, oh, look at that group of receivers. But what actually would the phrase be? We'll come up with that, and then that can be uh, your new 
phrase, Stephen, for you know the collection, the group of receivers. Mine's easy passing yards. You guys can have a debate with your friends, uh, annoy your significant ga- other, say, "Hey, which a, one do you think?" A gaggle of five star. No, yeah, maybe. We'll work, no, we'll, we'll I'll figure it out. out. Uh, and zoo people call us for now. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Lee Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.